Now, it might be to uh, some of you an interesting question. I'm imagining and hoping that it is. What you think Sigmund Freud's favorite Jewish joke was. Now, we don't have to guess because Freud actually wrote a book on wit and humor, and he records for us what his famous, most favorite Jewish joke was. But I want to give you a warning. It's not funny, actually. It goes like this. Two Jews are standing before a Russian firing squad, and both of them are offered blindfolds. One of the men accepts the blindfold, and the other refuses to put it on. And the friend who accepts the blindfold turns to the other one and angrily says, Stop it, don't make trouble. I told you it wasn't funny. But it says a lot about, it says a lot about Jews, at least at that time. Which is interesting when you think about how things have changed for Jews since Freud wrote that joke down. Now, I'm a member of a gym that is located in the Italian Cultural Center. I come by it honestly. It was, I grew up in New York, Jews and Italians. We live right next to each other. Uh, it's better known as the Columbus Center. No doubt, driving through the neighborhood in recent months, you saw signs declaring, Save the Columbus Center. And I'll tell you why. A few years ago, the center became embroiled in a dispute, one that continues today. The board of directors wanted to sell the land to a developer who, along with mega condo towers, promised to build a new center that would merge the local Roman Catholic school, creating a massive brand new Italian cultural center. The membership was in an uproar because they would be displaced for years. The density of the project would, that it would bring had the neighborhood in opposition. The Ministry of Education of this province waded into the situation because it required school property in order for it to be completed. And the Columbus Center went into crisis management mode. I'll spare you the details. But one day the staff was circulating in the gym area asking the members what they thought of the proposed changes. If they did or didn't support it, and I said to the manager, you're lucky this isn't a Jewish institution. And he asked me why. And I told him that if this was a Jewish institution, the very first day that you revealed the plans, you would have had five registered letters on your desk from five different lawyers with five stays of action pending disclosure in a hearing. It's safe to say that for, Jew th for Jews, things have changed. And the, and the administration at Forest Hill Collegiate, which is the high school just down the street here, found that out in spades this past week. Maybe you haven't heard, so I'll clue you in. There was some disturbing news from the high school this past week. This year, a large cohort of students from Forest Hill Collegiate participated on the March of the Living. Inspired by the trip when they came home, they looked to initiate Holocaust education programming in the school. Their efforts also dovetailed with the newly established annual Canadian Jewish Heritage Month, which will now fall every May in perpetuity in Canada. To celebrate the Heritage Month, a poster was hung in the school's main foyer. It consisted of a hand-painted Israeli flag with Hebrew writing at the very top declaring Jewish Heritage Month. Within a few days of its appearance, the school's principal ordered it be taken down. When asked why, 
she responded by saying the presence of the Israeli flag violated the school's, quote, impartial political stance. As news spread this past Wednesday, I have no doubt that my call to the principal and the TDSB and the outreach of CJA, which is the Jewish community's national political uh, action committee, that assurances were given to us that the flag would be returned to its rightful place the next day, that programming for Jewish heritage would continue, and the Holocaust education programming would be supported and encouraged in the school. Okay, and so now with a few days between us and that event, let's ask the question, did we win or did we lose? Let's all agree that Jews rightly have deep sensitivities to behaviors that deny or obstruct our ability to celebrate our Jewishness. Because our history is wrought long and crooked with attempts to persecute Jewish citizens for having different beliefs. We remember Napoleon Bonaparte's famous reformist statement where he, where he said, no rights to the Jews, but full rights as Frenchmen. Which is to say that so long as the Jews were indifferent, that they could enjoy the freedoms of French society. But it is also important to remember, and this is hard, but it's important to remember that not every act is a repetition of the past, nor is every misdeed an act of anti-Semitism. Personally, I'm inclined to assume ignorance and non-anti-Semitism, unless proven otherwise, absolutely. And what kind of ignorance, you ask? Because most people see Jews as a religion. What they don't see and understand is that Jews see themselves first and foremost as a people who have a shared religion. When my wife and I visited Europe last summer, she pointed out to me that I look far more German or Scandinavian than a Yemenite, which is probably what Moses looked like. And so the real answer of where I come from is a complicated and traumatic one. It's a story of a crusader who was tearing through the Jewish communities of the Rhine Valley in the 12th century, or a priest or a bishop or a local farmer who had their way with an ancestor of mine. And here I am, blonde hair, blue-green eyes, and light skin. So we're all a mix of this and that. Because the argument of the Nazis was based on the fact that they said that the Jews were a race that was infecting and weakening the world. They had advanced an entire crooked and corrupted discipline of eugenics to argue the point scientifically. But when we say that the Jews are a people, we mean it in a way that's not talking about DNA. Or think of it this way. If you move to France or Sweden, you can become a, a citizen of the country. You may, you may in fact become flu fluent in French and Swedish, but you'll never be a true Swede or a French person. That's because the Swedes and the French are tribes, descending from the roaming bands of Franks and Spheres, which is why when you go to Sweden and France, especially out into the countrysides, people look so much like each other. But when the Jews say that we are a people, we are not saying that we are a race. We are saying that we have a bond of peopleness. That we have 
a declared duty and love for who and what we are. Because if a Christian or a Muslim rejects their religious observances, they are not considered a part of their faith communities. Because there's really no such thing as a Christian or a Muslim who's an atheist. But Jews who reject even the most basic Jewish beliefs and observances, if they still identify with the Jewish people and its faith, they are universally recognized as one of us, which tells us that you may not eat kosher or observe the Sabbath, or maybe you don't even believe in God. It may have been a year since you last sat in that seat. But if you believe that the story of this people means something to you, if you believe that you are a part of the story, if you believe that when our prayers mention Beit Yisrael, the people of Israel, that it includes you, then you're a part of us. This peopleness or peoplehood is most profoundly expressed in our commitment to community, in our support of Jewish institutions, in our dogged attachment to our history and our deep and passionate love for the State of Israel. Because of this, to Jews worldwide, the flag of the State of Israel is not a political symbol. It is a sign of our existence as a people. You know, in 1937, <clears throat> exactly 10 years before, the United Nations sat in decision whether or not to create a State of Israel there was a appeal commission that was organized by the British government to deal with the question of Palestine. They, in the end, decided to, to partition the country into two segments, Arab and Jewish. According to the appeal commission, the Arabs would receive 65% of the land, the Jews 35. Despite the low number, the Jews accepted it, the Arabs refused. It is a scene of denial that would repeat itself again 10 years later, when the United Nations Partition Plan was suggested. But at that same commission, the future Prime Minister of the State of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, explained to them how the story of the Jews is connected with our identity as a people. He said this, that 300 years ago, there came to the New World a boat, and its name was the Mayflower. The Mayflower landing on Plymouth Rock was one of the great historical moments in both England and in the history of America. But I would like to ask, he said, any Englishman sitting here on the commission, what day, exact day, did the Mayflower leave port? I would like to ask the Americans, he said, what day did the Mayflower arrive on the shores of America? How many people were on the boat? Who were their leaders? And what kind of food did they eat on the boat? But Ben-Gurion said, more than 3,000 years ago, Long before the Mayflower, our people left Egypt. And every Jew in the world, no matter where he lives, we know when that date was, the first day of Passover. We know what food they ate. And we know who our leader was. And moreover, we tell down our children this story and our grandchildren this story in order to guarantee that it will never be forgotten. And as we tell this story, we speak it with two slogans. We say that this year we may be slaves, but next year we will be free. This year we are in exile, but next year in Jerusalem. Some people think 
that the existence of Israel is a political question. But Jews see the arguments over Israel as a question of our right to exist. When people question Israel's very right to exist, and I'm not talking about debating or disagreeing with this or that policy, but when people engage in actions that appear as if they deny its right to exist, then Jews see this action as an act to uproot us from our story. Because the Jewish story is inextricably deeply woven with the land of Israel. What is important to remember is there is not a small number of people who don't understand this. And I think that we would be well advised to not react to these events with automatic assumptions of anti-Semitism. Because on Thursday, the poster was back in the foyer. But in my eyes, the real win is seen in the project initiated this week by the Jewish community with the TDSB and the Forest Hill Collegiate staff to, to facilitate meetings and educational programs to preventing this from happening, not only there, but in all the schools throughout this city. As Canadians, our deeper hope must be that we live in a society of better people. As Canadians, our deeper hope must be that we live in a place of good neighbors. Shabbat Shalom.